Sports teams' dreams do come true. Against all the odds, the Eastside Melbourne Spectres have forced the grand final series to a third and deciding game. We're in there, we got a chance. Yes, it would have been nice if we won at home because I knew we had a chance at game two. Next game is going to be tougher for us to win than it was tonight. The Spectres turned a 26-point loss into a five-point victory, led by a dynamic performance by Bruce Bolden. On the other side of the ledger, the Wildcats champ James Crawford failed to score. Neither did skipper Mike Ellis. Actually, offensively, we didn't get the things done scoring-wise we would like to. But uh, both those guys would be out there playing hard Sunday and uh, trying to win a championship. So much pride is riding on the line today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to NBL Rewind, hashtag NBL Rewind, as we go back into the archives and what has been a magical run in the NBL. Watch your game and simply talk about it. I'm Cam Luke. Liam Santa Maria is here. We're going to get to him very shortly. A huge, huge game we're going to get into as well. And if you are from the Red Army, considering we've just seen back-to-back titles for the Perth Wildcats, you're going to like what's about to happen. You might have just seen it. You stream the game live on Twitter, 6.30, every Thursday night, Facebook, NBL TV, Every week we're going to do this over the off-season and then Liam and I are going to break it down and you can listen to this. You already are listening to it, so you know where to get it. If not, tell your friends, subscribe, download us where you get your podcast. Liam Santa Maria, hello to you. Hello, Cam. You're up and about. I'm excited. Hey, for us basketball junkies to be able to go back in and you know, yep. the NBL have said, hey, guys, whatever you want to do, find games, get in there, find the best games, your favorite players, and that's what we've done. And we've gone all the way back to 1991. Mm. as we touched on on NBL overtime back to back for the Wildcats, as everyone knows. So we've gone all the way back to when they went back to back and won this championship in '91, which of course was two in a row. And it was super fun to watch. That was kind of my big takeaway from from watching the game back. Uh, just that this this process, this podcast is going to be so fun because mm-hmm. now there's these classic games that have been on NBL TV for a few years, and people I've seen on Twitter people talking about going back and watching this game and that. And to be honest, I actually haven't tapped into any of them over the course of that journey until this one and um it was so good to just uh just go back and and watch some of those guys you know for me was going back and watching Ricky Grace was a thrill my old man used to take me to uh, Perth games when they came to Melbourne against the Saints against the Spectres against the Tigers against the Giants uh, and just tell me to keep my eye on on Ricky Grace and watch how he how he does things. So just go and tapping back into those feelings watching these games. Uh, it's going to be so fun. We're going to get to Game Three. They played the Eastside Spectres in an NBL Grand Final series. But before all of that, let's go back into 1991 and the actual NBL season. 14 teams. We had teams like Newcastle, Gold Coast, the Geelong SuperCats, and of course Hobart, which we're going to see in a couple of years' time, or at least a Tasmanian franchise reinvented in some way. Andrew Gates won his first MVP. He's surprised it took until 1991 to win his first of seven most valuable players. Um, well, I mean, he was putting up massive amounts of points throughout. Well, you know, a number of years before that, but um, the Tigers couldn't get many wins on the board for a lot of that journey. So it's hard to give an MVP to a guy right down the bottom of the ladder, even if he is averaging 44 points a game or the like. Um, But once, you know, they started adding guys like Colbert and uh, Sibley and, um, you know, adding more to the to the roster they started winning more games Um, that's when he started piling on the MVPs but this one was a comeback effort Mm -hmm. because he of course missed the last part of the 1990s he almost died Mm. with the uh the blood clot the stress thrombosis and um so that was one of the big storylines coming into this 1991 season was was drewy's back will he be able to get back to the kind of player that he that he was before and uh yeah he certainly did that took out the mvp Hey, there was an all-star game as well, North v South, at the Glass House in Melbourne, the old Glass House, which is now uh, the home of the Collingwood Football Club in the AFL, although it's reinvented just a little bit. Uh, Mark Davis, which we might touch on him in a moment with his place in the All-NBL first team, but he was the MVP, but an all-star game, which is something we've touched on and some fans are hoping and suggesting might come back into the NBL in the near future. And you're a little obsessed with, it must be said. Oh, so, oh, sorry <laughs> that I'm obsessed with seeing the best players on the court at once playing a game of basketball. My apologies, Liam. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got a couple of things to, to chuck in there about the uh, 1991. Hit me. There, there were three 50-point games that season by an individual. Mm-hmm. Two different players scored 50-plus point games. Who do you think they were? Gazy. Did it twice. One and other. And Dave Colbert. Was it Dave? <laughs> You're a Melbourne Tigers man, aren't you? Scott he Fisher. Was playing for, 
I think Dave Cobb was playing for Brisbane at the time, was he? No, 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 not in he was Melbourne by that stage. Yep, yep. Right. Scott Fisher okay. had 56 in mm-hmm. Hobart at one point. Mm-hmm. And how about this? There were six triple doubles in 1991. Obviously, the 48 minute games, and they were very high scoring and lots of stats, but six triple doubles. Butch Hayes, mm-hmm. Greg Stokes from the Saints, mm-hmm. Greg Hubbard from Illawarra. Storm and Norman Taylor from Illawarra. How about these two? Dean Utoff had a triple-double. <laughs> the man mounted in 91. Ten assists in uh, one ball game. And get this line from John Dorge when he was playing for Geelong on the 12th of April at the Glasshouse against the Giants. Had 26 points, 14 rebounds, and 14 block shots. The big fella. <laughs> Well, John Dorge actually averaged yes. four and a half blocks a game and led the league in blocks. Four and a half a game. We obviously spoke a lot about Will Magna and how we ended the second half of the year uh, in the block party and defensively. But four and a half a game for John Dorge playing for the Supercats back in 91. That's some numbers by the big boy. Yeah, the chicken farmer putting up some some massive numbers. So it was a, uh, yeah, it was a big season for big numbers. Andrew Gaze, 39 a game. James Bullock, remember him? Played for Newcastle yes. that year, averaged 16 rebounds, led the league. Butch Hayes, I'm going to get to him in a moment. He averaged nine assists for the 36ers. Bobby Luck, three steals a game. John Dorge, as I touched on him. Leroy Loggins, 91.91% from the foul line. Most valuable player, as I said, Andrew Gaze. Most valuable player in the grand final season. We'll get to that in a little bit. Terry Dozier was the best defensive player. He was at the Supercats. Uh, most improved, Andrew Parkinson, who and this is the last year of the Saints mm-hmm. and the East Side Spectres because they became the South East Melbourne Magic in the offseason and went on into that 92 season. Andrew Vlaha, we'll talk a lot about very shortly, was the Rookie of the Year and the Coach of the Year was Murray Arnold at the Perth Wildcats as well. Wanna... Can you tell me who was in the All-NBL first team, Liam? Do you know? Uh, Drewy. Yes. Uh, Ricky Grace. Yes. Um... Oh boy, you put me on the spot. You've you've named uh, one already. I have Scott Fisher. Scott Fisher, yes. Okay, that's three. Mm-hmm. Um, Adelaide. Mark Davis. He did, yes. And the centre, yeah. which I reckon they might have taken a liberty with this. I'm not certain he was a centre, but uh, okay. Gold Coast Cougars. Remember Mike Mitchell? Oh, Mike Mitchell, first season in the league. Yes, he was a star. Mm. Yep. That was their first season as the Rollers, I believe. They were the Cougars up until that point. Can I go back to Andrew Parkinson? Yes, of course. Because I want to tell you a story about his last regular season game in 91 mm-hmm. prior to, um, as you as you alluded to, over the offseason, uh, the Southeast Melbourne Magic were formed. Um, so he was playing for the Saints, putting up big numbers. And in the um, in the... He, I interviewed him a, a couple of years ago, writing a story about um, the the um, beginnings of the Southeast Melbourne Magic, and he told me about how in the last game of the season they were playing Geelong. Now he had previously played for Geelong, and I guess it had a falling out or had been cut. I can't quite remember. Someone listening will know for sure. And um, so he he doesn't have fond feelings towards Barry Barnes as a result of that. Not a big fan of Barry Barnes, to put it nicely. So they were playing against Geelong in the final regular season game against Barry Barnes, and he's like, I'm just going to put up 50. I'm going to have 50 tonight. And then he, he, he tells me that at the same time, he didn't know at the time, but at the same time that night, um, behind the scenes, Gorge had an understanding of what was going to be going down with the the – merger and he knew that he was going to have to at least have one guy from the saints and apparently that night gorge and his good mate bruce palmer who was the head coach of the north melbourne giants of course uh were went to the glass house and were sitting in the like in-house bar at the bar at the glass house watching this saints versus geelong game in the bar through the like in-house TV and Gorge was sitting there telling Bruce Palmer, this is the guy I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to take Andrew Parkinson. That's the guy I'm going to take from the Saints. And they were playing a drinking game in the bar at the glass house where every time Parky hit a shot, they were having a, they were having a drink. And 
Meanwhile, Parky's out there trying to give it to Barry Barnes. Yeah. He had 49 that game. 49. <laughs> Gorge had to apparently leave his car at the glass house, <laughs> make his way home to Amanda Gorgian and just crawl in the front door and said, I think I got my guy. A couple of things to get for me too. That that was the part of, and Andrew Parkinson was a huge part of those Southeast Melbourne Magic Championship runs, of which he had two in the next three or four years when they win it. Which I have no doubt there'll be Magic fans, old Magic fans out there that'll want us to have a look at it. Part of NBL Rewind, but it, it really reminds in-house bars should be something that's part of the NBL in NBL Twenty One. I think just allow more people just to be behind the scenes, have a couple of quiet drinks, and watch an in-house TV of the court and what the action on it. I like it. If not no. to just relive those types of experiences. <laughs> Some old school in-house drinking by two of the great coaches we've seen uh, in Bruce Piper and Brian Gorge. And all right, let us do a final series. And I don't want to go back and whack the administration of the 1991 NBL. But Liam, mm-hmm. I want you to explain this to me, okay? So it was a six-team final series. Right. And Perth was on top, five games clear. They were the dominant team in the regular season. The Eastside Spectres were second. So they got the first round by. So they were sitting there waiting to find out who they were to play. And there was three game series happening between the other four teams. Now, traditionally, it would be 3v6 and 4v5. But not in the NBL in 1991. For some reason, and please tweet us, hashtag NBL well, Rewind, the team uh-huh. that finished third essentially, who were the Geelong Supercats, had to play fifth, who were the North Melbourne Giants. And the team that finished fourth, which was the Adelaide 36ers, in fact got an easier, by the ladder, easier run in the first seed when they got number six in the Melbourne Tigers. So it was actually better in 1991 to finish fourth rather than third when it came to playing in the first right. round of finals. So you think the Geelong Supercats got shafted? I, I do, I do, and and and, uh-huh. and funnily enough, they ended up losing the series. They got they got beaten two games to one by the North the Melbourne Giants. Giants. There you go. While the sixth seed Melbourne Tigers got ran out of town by the Adelaide Thirty Sixers, who were seated fourth, and that led us into a, a semi-final series where North Melbourne played the East Side Melbourne Spectres. We love those Melbourne rivalries, and we love those rivalries right around in all sport, and in particular in in, in the NBL. And this was big for Melbourne v Melbourne. There was a lot of Melbourne teams at the time, and we've seen that. In this particular year, with North Melbourne and Eastside playing in a semi-final series, that the Spectres swept them at pretty good games. I'm going to find the answer out to that for you because um, the chairman of the uh, NBL at the time was Malcolm Speed, mm. who is now my brother's father-in-law. Something you could have told me before I whacked him. And, of course, Malcolm <laughs> Speed, who has been a great administrator across many sports in Australia yeah. for a long time. So uh, I, I'm sure that and he would look back. On that, and I think he would regrettably admit to us here at NBL Rewind that they made a mistake. You think so? Well, I'll track it down for you. <laughs> In the other semi-final, Perth and Adelaide went at it, and it was actually two really close games. Perth, who had been the dominant team, as we spoke about a little bit earlier, five games on top at the end of the regular season, they squeaked out of Adelaide. Uh, in game one with a three-point win and Adelaide had a chance to tie it at the end of regulation. And then the second game, Perth at home, only just got over Adelaide by a point. So while they swept Adelaide, it was only four points between them over the two games. And, of course, led brilliantly Adelaide, as we touched on. Butch Hayes was their point guard at the time. And they were a very formidable team, nearly knocking off the Wildcats at least one of these games in the semifinals. It was a marquee matchup in the backcourt. Ricky Gray's oh. first Butch Hayes. Butch Hayes first season in the league. And um, great quote from uh, Grace heading into that series. He said, uh, you know, last year they were last year there was all the talk was about Ricky Grace and Derek Rucker. And he said, This year it's Ricky Grace and Butch Hayes. And hey, as long as it's Ricky Grace every year, I'm cool with it. You know what? We're going to get into things we miss shortly when we get into game three, but something I do miss, and we don't see it a great deal in the NBL. In fact, we really see it in basketball around the world. Butch Hayes rolling the long socks. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see somebody in NBL 21 bring back the long socks on a regular basis. I was a big fan of the um, like the the two pairs of the Converse socks where you'd kind of layer them, layer the, the, uh, the colors. Uh, All right. You're a real. <laughs> Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Not really. Oh, somebody's gonna. Somebody's no, I have no idea. So the old Converse tube socks is what you're talking about. Yeah, you'd wear two pairs, yeah. so be layered, layered, layered. Yeah, exactly. I got you. I just didn't really respect it. So that's fair enough. Okay.
Okay. <laughs> All right. And it led us to a grand final series between the Perth Wildcats and the Eastside Spectres. Uh, game one, it was all the Wildcats at the glass house. So, of course, uh, three-game series in, in the grand final series, it was a uh, lower-ranked team hosted, and then the next two games, two and three, were hosted by the higher-ranked Perth Wildcats. So game one, the Wildcats on the road into the glass house, 26-point win. So, you know, they're a game in hand with two games to go at home in the Perth Entertainment Centre on the Friday night was rocking and Eastside rolled on in and behind Bruce Bolden were able to upset the Wildcats and all their fans in front of a capacity 8,200 people with a five-point win and it set up a deciding Sunday game three, which is the one we uh, hashtag NBL Rewind went back and watched. And the Wildcats got the job done and uh, we were talking about Malcolm Speed before. I I liked his comments in the uh, celebrations afterwards where he said that the Spectres came across the Nullarbor to try to achieve the impossible, beat the Perth Wildcats twice. And, um, geez, they did a pretty good job. Obviously, tied the series up in game two, as you said, and um, they battled. I mean, they got down super early in this this game, 17 down early doors, uh, kept coming back, kept coming back. But uh, each and every time, the, uh, the Wildcats had the answers. Hashtag NBL Rewind. We're going to go through this. We've got some segments as well. First thoughts, things we miss, you know, unsung heroes. So anytime, if you've watched it already via Twitch or Facebook or on NBL TV or on Twitter, let us know. If you haven't yet, love to hear your thoughts as well. At NBL, hashtag NBL Rewind. As we get into game three of the 1991 NBL Grand Final Series, it was a Sunday afternoon. Perth Entertainment Centre was rocking. And as you touched on, it was a 17-point lead early for the Wildcats who came out. What was your first thoughts on this game, Liam? A lot of flat tops. A lot of, a lot of flat tops on the floor. Darren Perry, Ricky Grace, mm-hmm. uh, Bolden, um, David Close. I missed those uh, 90s, 90s flat tops. Also, you wait long enough, mate. They come around again. They will come back. I won't be able to participate by that time, though, let's be honest. Um, it was a, The game was so different. Right, I mean, it was uh, yeah, I'm 30 second shot clock. Uh, you know, guys, it was it was like shooting the three ball was frowned upon. A lot of long twos, a lot of mid range, a lot of power play. You know, Vlahov and Utoff and Bolden trying to bang down low. Peter Hansen was a big brute, um, and those were the teams that were having success. Right, I mean, the the Giants prior um, to you know in '89 with and uh, with you know Fisher and. Um, you know, Reedy and the and the big units. So it was a it was a very different game. The big fellas weren't stepping out and shooting it, and you know, very few pick and rolls. You you watch that game next to you know alongside everything we've just watched in NBL twenty, and they uh, they're just so different in the style of of game. You mentioned something, the three-pointer. Obviously, the game has evolved so much to where we sit in two thousand and twenty compared to nineteen ninety one. But the Wildcats took night and. The East Side Spectres opened in a zone. They opened in a zone. Gorgian. Incredible. Gorgian just goes, we'll go a zone on a Sunday, Arvo. And Perth, which traditionally in today's day and age, if a team opens on a zone, that's just, we're going to let this thing fly. Yes. They took nine threes for the game. They only hit two, and they were both in the first quarter. They did not hit a three after halfway through the first quarter. Ricky Grace hit both threes. Uh, And outside of that, you're right, they're so reluctant. To shoot threes, there's a lot of those long range twos. When James Crawford got going, he and and Pinder late hit some mid ranges, and it was, you know, today it would just be a step. Take thirty seconds, uh, thirty seven right. minutes back, and take a three. But yeah, nine threes the Wildcats took for the game, and it struck me the last game we seen in NBL twenty, the power forward for the Perth Wildcats, Nick K, nine threes by himself. Kind yeah, of an indication right. of how much the game has changed since ninety one to two thousand and twenty. Yeah, you're right. And uh, it was interesting listening to Ricky Grace and his on-court interview after the game talking about uh, what changed from game two where they lost to game three. And one of the things he spoke about was their zone offense. Obviously, the Spectres had switched things up in game two and shown a bit of a zone and um, the Wildcats maybe didn't execute quite as well against it. And uh, he said, yeah, we Coach Arnold put some things in place and, uh, yeah, they were tr- throwing it into the high post. A lot of tiny pinder down there, Vlahov, Hansen, getting the ball into that middle area and then playing from there. But not much penetrating pitch, which is what we see in that situation these days. Bruce Bolden, he had an earring in. 
<laughs> it did. I had to go. When I, I first that. noticed it, I had to go back three or four times, and then I thought maybe what I'm watching on my my laptop is a little grainy. But yeah, he not only and wearing an earring, uh, uh, of course, was led by Michael Jordan almost was was the thing then. But to allow him to play a game of professional basketball with an earring, and that really struck me. It's a lot different now. He was the best player in the game too. He was. He was at twenty nine and fifteen, and a lot of what. Uh, you know, the Wildcats were doing defensively revolved around kind of crowding him, making life tough for him. Um, he was he was a stud. Of course, he was the following year for the Magic. He was the, uh, you know, finals MVP. So I think we maybe in looking back on NBL history, we forget how good Bolden was. He, he still scares me. He still scares me from, you know, the brute physical specimen that he was. But I'm going to have to say this for us NBL 20 fans and Hungry Jack's, were a sponsor of the league then. They had the logo on the court. He gave away burgers pretty early in that deciding game, only about two and a half minutes in. He struggled from the foul line over the course of the night, oh six or 13, but he gave some burgers early. So retrospective burgers, I wouldn't mind the idea of it. 80% free throw oh, no. shooting on the year, they mentioned during the broadcast. Mm-hmm. So he comes out in game three in a what as part of what was a dominant performance. As I said, 29 and 15, he puts six, he leaves, what does he leave? Seven free throws mm-hmm. on the at the stripe, and they go down by 10. So, uh, yeah, no, they would have been kicking themselves over that. He, but um, he, he was – and I also – I mean, are we into things we miss? Let's talk things we miss. Hang on, just before – those two big threes he hit late were massive. One thing, first thought, mm-hmm. and I don't miss this, but the 10-second warning on the shot clock, of course, a shorter yes. shot clock now, but that it, it kind of threw me for the first couple of possessions mm-hmm. that came down because you hear this buzzer and the players mm. just play on like nothing's happening. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's right. The 10-second shot clock warning is here. Yes. Yeah, it kind of it, it, it kind of slaps you in the face after the uh, first couple of times you hear it because you're like so accustomed to not hearing it nowadays and needing someone to yell out that there's three, two, one second left on the shot clock. You know what else slapped me in the face as soon mm-hmm. as I heard it in a good way mm-hmm. was Dennis Cometti's voice at the start of the broadcast. Dennis Cometti calling hoops. This Perhaps this could be a good segue into things we miss because I miss him as a basketball caller. He was mm-hmm. awesome. You went, hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Cometti. Welcome along to the Perth Entertainment Centre for the third and deciding game in the NBL Grand Final Series between the reigning champs, the Perth Wildcats, looking to repeat, and the Eastside Melbourne Spectres. So far in this series, it's gone with the away teams. Hey, just before we go any further, and you're right, obviously, you know, broadcast Hall of Famer, any sport he wants to do, and he's a, he's a legend, but... Hey, you know, there's a new breed of announcers getting around, Liam, that might still need a job in NBL 21. So just think of people like, I don't know, you and me. <laughs> I hear you, but he was, how good. I mean, his voice and mm-hmm. um, the drama that he brought to the call, he was cash money. It was nice to see him when the, uh, in, was it game two of the recent grand final series in yep. Perth? No crowd, mm-hmm. but Kometi was in there. Kometi was allowed in. <laughs> All right, things we miss and hashtag NBL Rewind to get involved. Hit us up. Things we've missed, something that it might have been the night in this particular game, it might have been the series or that genre of basketball if you can't specifically name it, but we're going to talk about things we missed that happened in the game. What What, what is the first thing you missed? Well, as in we're talking about things that we things saw in the, that we'd yeah, love yeah. to still have kind of. Yeah. On-court championship celebrations. I've got to be honest, I miss that right now. I miss the fact that we weren't able to have that in NBL 20. And uh, These are unprecedented was, circumstances we just I went know, through, Liam said. I know, I'm, I know, but it was fun. We to, can really, yeah, no, you're right. It was fun to kick back and, and geez, didn't they do it well in the Perth Entertainment Centre in 1991 with the confetti raining down mm-hmm. constantly um, and it, it was maybe like one second, two seconds after the final buzzer and the Wildcats players had, uh, champagne bottles in their hands and they were spraying it and they were drinking it and the iconic image of Mike Ellis raising the Dr. John Ratchke trophy and um, you know that's obviously gone down in in Perth Wildcats history as a big moment and I uh, I enjoyed there I miss John Court Championship celebrations it's we need to get that back I have a feeling that we'll be back in NBL 21 outside of what has happened in the last week or so. What, what I will say, though, like they, they were, and you, you sent me an article uh, that was written about the, the heroes, the royalty that they were around those time, the Perth Wildcats, where they were very similar 
and held in such high regard. And, and as high a profile as the West Coast Eagles, Fremantle Dockers weren't yet in the AFL, but their West Coast Eagles were, and they were on a similar rung of a team that was having some success as well. How hard do you reckon these guys partied? You, you touched on that, like Crawford, Vlahov, Pinder, Hansen. Like they did. They're knocking the champagne 90 seconds after the buzzer went. How, how long mm-hmm. and hard do you reckon these dudes rolled around Perth floor after they won this championship? All night long. All night I reckon, long. I, I was going to say all month for, long. <laughs> well, fair call. I, I was going to save this for beyond the box score later on, but um, the championship uh, celebrations involved a parade through the city streets of Perth. And the, the streets were lined like deep with people, thousands and thousands of people. Uh, the Wildcats rolling around, they were each had their own car, one car for one player and one coach Watch as they mean. cruised the streets and uh, and uh, took in all the uh, the love and admiration. They were all wearing uh, sun visors, not caps, mm-hmm. but in mm-hmm. good, true 1991 style uh, sun visors. And when Ricky Grace was spoken to, um, uh, they the yeah, he made mention. He said, "Mate, I, the guy was like, did you get, you know, how are you going? Holding up today after after last night? Not much sleep. I wouldn't have thought." He said, "I haven't been asleep, mate. I haven't been to, He had just uh, he just rolled on through. See, that's the type, and that's something I miss: just blatant honesty by athletes today. Mm-hmm. Just just blatant honesty. I haven't been to bed. I've been hanging out in Northridge for the last seven hours, enjoying the spoils of a back-to-back championship. I love that honesty from Ricky Grace. Hey, mm. I, I have a enough, long list. Yeah, for things we missed just quietly. So, so do I, but all right. You know, there's there's four things that I had on my list, okay? And two of them I've actually bought up in NBL overtime that the NBL, the league, should bring back. Zero. One on one. I think it adds intrigue and drama. Foul shots when you've got to make the first to get the second. Bruce Bolden actually, again, Bruce, if you're listening, I apologize. You're outstanding in this series, and you had 29 and 15 in this game. But twice when they were threatening late, yep. he missed the front end of a couple of foul shots, and it actually stalled their momentum just a little bit. And the other thing, I want to see the jump ball back. I understand why it exists in junior basketball around the world, but I also think that, again, again it adds some suspense. There was a couple of big jump balls, Hanson and Lockhart, late in yep. the fourth quarter. There was one a little bit earlier that Hanson was actually in against Utah, and Utah just couldn't get off the ground, the big fella. I like – he was tired, the man mountain. But I like I like the theatre of the jump ball, players diving on it, not having to spin around and see which way the possession arrow is going, actually starting the quarter with a jump ball and having a jump ball if you've got – you know, two men or three men or women diving on loose balls are desperate for it. I would like to see him throw it back up towards the rafters. I'll pay half of that. Which um, half? When when it, when it's when the ball gets tied up during the game, let's jump it. I dig that. But having a jump to begin every single quarter, I, even just watching that one game, it was getting laborious for me. I was like, how many it jump? It's too, it's too many jump balls. Let's just. I, 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 that's one thing I put down here as something that I don't miss. Starting each and every quarter with a jump ball. Well, this let's is what just, you got to do because then. I like to get, let's get this thing moving, right? Because one of the things that watching this game reminded me that I miss is the quick inbounds. The quick inbounds on like the violations, a travel out of bounds. Um, they just they can they don't have to give it to the ref. Just grab it, get to the side, Gone. throw it in. I agree. Love that. That was good. Mm. Well, you're going to need to come up. With, so you you want the jump ball back in the actual play, but not at the start of quarters. Yes. Yeah. All right. We can come up with the exactly right formula to work out how. So do you just alternate then? Just alternate like who? So whoever wins yeah. the first dip, mm-hmm. start of the second quarter, the other team gets it, third quarter. That, that, you happy with that? Happy with that. Done. And how about the foul shooting situation? I like one-on-one. You do? I do. it. I do. Beautiful. All right. I what, know you've got a long list. One? Bike shorts. Longer than the actual game short. Uh, well, so, I mean, Ricky Grace and Tiny Pinder's bike shorts were a lot longer. <laughs> a lot. It got me thinking, off the top of your head, because I think short shorts are starting to come back in. We've seen it a little bit in collegiate basketball earlier in the year, okay? So it's kind of they're, the not, they're never going to get that short. They're never going to get Trevor Torrance short. Let's... I, I, I think there will be an import that comes through the NBA in the next couple of years who is you know, coming through that system where small shorts are starting to become a bit more fashionable and he yeah. will request shorts 
couple of sizes too small. I don't not think there's anyone in, in Australia who'll do it. Not <laughs> Three double T-shirt. Not double T-shirt. I mean, um, Hampton seemed to have his hiked up pretty high and had the sort of fold over See? happening this season. See, there you go. A younger kid mm. who understands fashion a hell of a lot more than you and I do. Someone will roll real short shorts and then we'll roll the long bike shorts underneath it. I, I'm not saying I miss it and I desperately want everyone to do it, but I also would like to see someone go out on their own and pay homage to the early 90s basketball fashion. I miss old school refs. Watching this game, and I'm not going to ref bash here on the current crop, but watching this game, Billy Mildenhall and Eddie Crouch doing their thing uh, made me miss those guys and the likes of Ray Hunt and Hollywood Mel Cooper and the way they talked to the players mm-hmm. and they had they had some back and forth and they were they'd make the call and the guy would sort of be clearly aggrieved and would be ready to kind of go at them and they'd walk up and explain the call. And so many times watching this game, you see the guy go, all right, fair enough, you know, and then they get on with it. And they were calling them, you know, they were calling them by name. They obviously had a good relationship with the players, which I think was a feature of refereeing at this time. And then there were some there were some things that happened, like there were some moments where there were some like mini scuffles. You remember mm-hmm. there was one with uh, Wayne Larkins and Ricky Grace <laughs> <laughs> late in the game. Yeah, it was handled Larkins, brilliantly. But it was handled brilliantly. They, there was, was no no mm-hmm. carry on, no Text or unsportsmanlikes or anything. It's just they just t- and then also earlier in the game, Vlahov kind of, you know, got I think he got stuck. One of them, Billy or or Eddie, and they were just like they let him go, let him cool down, let him run off, and then they went, oh, blew their whistle and went, hey, Andrew, no more chat, mate, or I'll give you a tea. And that relationship, that kind of way of handling things, I miss that style of the old school refs. Something that I did when I was doing my research of how this series and in particular how the playoffs actually worked out. Like 10 minutes before we started. Yeah. The same refereeing crew. No, I mean right now. The same refereeing crew did the entire – so the entire series of the semifinals, North Melbourne and Geelong, was actually the same thing. So you had the same referees through the entire time. So you actually had the same two referees through the whole series. Yeah. Okay, and I do yeah. like that, and it's been spoken a little bit about um, in in recent times in different sports, and that's kind of how the relationship also helps a little mm. bit, and it also allows the game to be refereed. Like we understand that referees some have different sort of quirks, and it's not always what everyone wants to hear, but there is different referees, different and, and officiate in in different ways. But if you have the same crew for the entire series, then you have mm-hmm. a much better understanding as to how certain things are going to get refereed over the over the course of the series. And I think that a lot of that, what you just touched on is was on offer. Although I will say there was a little home cooking early for Perth. Eastside had 5,000, two and a half minutes of the first quarter. And then there would have been minimum 10 charges called. A lot of charges. Lot yep. Of charges. That's why they brought in the no charge zone. Yeah, to try to try to limit those calls. But that would too. I mean, they're two all time greats, Billy, Billy and Eddie, of course. No doubt. Um, I miss Gorge. Mm. And he wasn't, at this point, he was still early doors, right? He wasn't like full, like massive personality Gorge at this point. It got, it ramped up when it was the the kind of black of the Southeast Melbourne magic. Um, I miss his hair, the full hair. It was of, luscious, wasn't it? It, it was luscious. Uh, it took him about, I think, maybe three minutes, 30 into the game before he got his first warning. And there was, I don't think we it was didn't that see long. It, we, we didn't see it on screen, but there was uh, the, but I think Cometti uh, mentioned at some point he had to be restrained mm-hmm. to be held back by Ooh. maybe Kev Gorgon or Ian Stacker because he was trying to get to the ref. Yeah, yeah, he did. He actually, I think he might have actually said it was a player that was restrained. Right. Gorge. So yeah, yeah, he was he was fired up early. Something I liked actually, and this is something that I think that happens in basketball across the world. And I understand why it happens a little bit, but Bruce Bolden got four fouls real quick. But Gorge said, "Stuff it. We're not winning without him. He's staying on the floor. He's got to play with four fouls." And essentially, he did. He played a really good game. But you know, coaches, or in this particular game at least, they allowed even Vlahov. He got in some early foul trouble. They said, "Look, we need you out there." play through it. So maybe it's the six fouls, having that extra one up your, your sleeve with the longer games maybe. But the fact is that you know Bruce was on four fouls pretty early and Gorge backed him in and he delivered for so much of that 48 minutes. Bolden is still on four and he racked up those four halfway through the second quarter. 
They were shallow up front too, the Spectres. What did they have? Lucas Agrams come you know, coming off the bench. They didn't they didn't have uh, much to call upon. Um you talk about Bruce Bolden's free throw shooting. I miss Bruce Bolden shooting free throws. Mm. Like his style. Like he how hard did he pound the ball? I I remember thinking when I was a kid watching him play, like he legitimately could dent the floorboards (laughs) with how hard he's throwing the sporting towards it and then it just nestles back into his big palms. And outside of this game, he was a very good foul shooter. And he took that – he has the ball sort of – this sort of hangs down, takes that big, deep breath, and it's something that I tried Mm -hmm. to incorporate in my game and it didn't work for me. But it was something that I I think a lot of – you know, I guess um, mental coaches and techniques nowadays take that moment to take a deep breath and focus, and it worked pretty well for him. And he kind of had, he, he, he took it back just that extra little way. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. quite Bill Cartwright style, right to the back of the head, but he did kind of cock it back. He had a very distinct style from the free throw line. He had a distinct style all, all around. I miss those Perth Wildcats uniforms. I like them. They are right up there in the all-time best uniforms of the NBL. And the warm-ups, I don't know if you're sure if you noticed the warm-ups, the guys on the bench, when there was a timeout, they'd stand up. Watto and David Close, those guys would stand up and put their back to you. And it was just all white with that kick-ass black Wildcat logo on the back. Simple, beautiful. I know we have, we have City Round and we have Indigenous Round. We need Retro Round. We've had heritage. We've had, we heritage. had heritage. Did they, did yeah. they go all the way back? Because I don't recall the Wildcats. So some yeah. of the jerseys in the early nineties were brilliant, and and I just don't recall the Wildcats wearing something like this in recent times. I um no, they have. So oh, okay, but I I had to, watching this <laughs> watching this game back though. I had you know those situations where you realize something that it's kind of ridiculous that you didn't realize or know the whole time. And then sometime down the track, you realize it. The, it was only took until today that I noticed that the reason why they had that pattern around their midriff was the sponsorship of, of emu, emu export. Are you with me on that? I'm today. <laughs> you know that- as well. I, I was unaware of that as well until yes. right now, until you told I'm, me. Even today yeah, when I watched the red, game, I didn't think about it. Yeah, the red and yellow kind of band that they have go around them, and you think I, I remember always thinking that's the weirdest part of their uniform. I don't get why that's got to do with anything to do with there Wildcats, and and there it is. It was, I've just put the game back up. And I've just realised myself. Does Emu Export yeah. does that still exist? I, what is it? I mean, it's a beer, I assume. But I could okay. be well and truly wrong. In yeah, fact, I don't no, even I know why. Right. I think it's a beer. And so this is, yeah, this is the club that um, eventually was sponsored. Are they still sponsored by, uh, like, um, Drinkwise or, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so yeah. anyway, they're, they're, that's that's what that was all about. I also miss shots of fans cheering in a lounge room. <laughs> Why have we gone away from that? I I enjoy that. Yeah, but that is traditionally based on traveling teams trying to win a championship. Okay, so if we well, go, you have back, that every year. It, it only seems to happen in a deciding game, though. You know what I mean? We, You're right. Yeah. There are times like, like if it's a game four, I don't think you'd do it. It has to be a deciding one-off elimination game. So we could have probably done it. Could have had some Adelaide people mill around in a, you know, in, in someone's lounge room a couple of years ago when they when they lost to uh, Melbourne United in that game five. I, it just feels to me like a deciding one-off winner takes all. I don't think you can throw a opposition fan base together in someone's porch to watch game four when their team's down two one. You know what I mean? I hear you. Mm-hmm. I've also just found out that Emu Export exists still and is available for purchase. Fifty-five dollars a case at Dan Murphy's. <laughs> and you know what? I can't Cooper's believe I didn't know that all this time. This game. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I actually didn't realize until you just told me. There you go. Yeah, it is a beer. Um, that that's my list of things we miss. Look, I've sort of pushed this before, and I understand why not as well. But the twelve-minute quarters adds a little bit too. I, I understand why we don't have it, but. I like the 12-minute quarters. 
I like it. I like the old school basketball adds a bit. In fact, you, you think with the depth in, in the NBL today, 12-minute quarters might actually work a little bit better for some of the clubs and allow you know a bit more distribution of game time rather than trying to squeeze it into 40 minutes. But um, Well, we all know least- how... Mm-hmm. How nutso everyone went when, when uh, you know we go right now when there's a triple double, right? Mm-hmm. The back to back triple doubles of Lamelo Ball. If Dean Utoff is having triple doubles, if the Mount Mountains having triple doubles in the four in forty eight minutes, yes, let's we're it, gonna we would be on. swimming in no, triple on. doubles. Hang on, I was actually gonna make mention of this. The best pass of the game. Actually, probably the second best. We're going to it get to the nice. moment shortly. Yes, the Dean Utah touch pass off One a jump hand. ball. Yeah, yep. he just was m- nice. He just mitted it and almost quarterbacked it. I think it was to to Darren Perry. Ended up mm-hmm. or, uh, or 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 Lucas Darren Lucas, uh, and he got. But yeah, it was off a jump he ball. Got bad, yeah. So I'm not surprised that the man Mountain was able to rack up enough assists in one particular game to give us yeah. one of those. Wasn't his best game this game, game three of this grand final series? To be honest wasn't his best game. In fact, it was it was I actually started to have a bit of a chuckle at times at how consistently they would ice him in the block. Like I started to feel sorry for the big fella. Possession after possession, he would just park himself down there on the box. Mm-hmm. And early in the offer, he's like now if a guy has is down there and he's a big unit and he's got his man on his back, like he gets the rock. You never see teams just like turn away from that entry pass. If it's you know, mm-hmm. guys don't camp down there to anywhere near to that extent but if they're there they're there for a reason and they get the ball if they're open but he was just had his his kind of lead hand out possession after possession and just wouldn't get it and and then when he did get it oftentimes not much took place so uh it wasn't his wasn't his best night out the big fella a little heads up as well uh got a little information yes they have worn that uniform in recent years, the Wildcats in Retro Round. So a big shout-out to uh, Retro Round. And our man Guy is on the board. He tells us that they did wear it a couple of years ago. So I, I, I can't remember it, but I'm going to take his word for it right about now, and I love that uniform. All right. And looking Anything at that picture, mm-hmm. looking at that picture where the EMU export band was, they ironically had their Alcohol Think Again sponsorship in that go. band. So in the Heritage Round. All right. Anything else you missed? No, that's it. All right, let's get on to hashtag NBL Rewind to get involved. We're getting stuck into game three, 1991. The Wildcats win 90 to 80 in the win, the 1991 championship back to back, which, of course, we're paying homage right now because the Wildcats just did that only a week or so as well. Beyond, you want to do beyond the box score or where are they now first? Wherever you want to go. Let's do beyond the box score. What else stood, random little things in this game that stood out to you? Kate Sobrano and Ernie Dingo in the crowd, both lending their support. Nice to see Celebrity Row was in action in 1991. This is something you'll enjoy, Kate. Hang on, quickly, just quickly, not even a joke. I think it was mentioned that Kate Sobrano sang the national anthem. She did. Yeah, there you go. The Wildcats started each training session in 1991 Mm. with aerobics. With like an aerobics instructor and they like did aerobics. And not only that, they did it like in the tunnel pregame before running out into their introductions and running out to to warm up on the floor. In the tunnel, they were doing like, you know, jazzercise style aerobics. How do you know this? (laughs) This is... What I've been checking it out. Nineteen ninety-one Wildcats. Funny, Pete Hansen, Pete Hansen, mm-hmm. Grand Final MVP. Rubbish at aerobics. Ricky Grace, very good. I'm, I'm going to take your word for that. NBL hashtag NBL everyone to get involved. Beyond the box score, this was, and I think they, and you might have a quote there somewhere as well in an article. But this is, and they believed that they were one of the most talented teams to ever play in the NBL. And that somehow holds up, well, it still holds up to this day when you look at 
uh, where they're at. Obviously, Ricky Grace, you know, legend, James Crawford, who didn't remarkably, James Crawford did not score in game two. Did no. not score. Rolls back and takes a little while to get going in this game. Gets a foul shot, then gets rolling. Scores about 10 points in that second quarter and essentially ends up having a pretty good game. Uh, of course, Andrew Vlahov come off the bench. Hansen and, and Pinder, uh, big brute of men who I'm going to get to Tony Pinder very shortly, but they played very This is an extremely talented team. Wow. And they this pointed is- it out at the time. They might be the most talented team of all time and it's still an argument that you could probably have right now about them. One Aussie-born starter, Mike Ellis. Then they had two naturalized Americans in that starting lineup, which was James Crawford and Tiny Pinder. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then their two imports, Ricky Grace, who, of course, got naturalized, what, five years, four years later, and mm-hmm. Pete Hansen. Um, Andrew Vlahov, the most coveted recruit coming into this season. It was his rookie year, as you mentioned, rookie of the year, had been played for the Boomers at the World Championships, obviously a collegiate career at Stanford, and every team in the league wanted his signature and um, obviously went uh, with the Wildcats, came off the bench that season, and uh, he obviously has, comes as no surprise. He had a big impact every time he came out there and just powering his way to the basket, making plays, and yeah, super talented team and um, really, I mean, they went back to back here, mm-hmm. but this is a team that could have potential, like really could have won a whole bunch of titles in this little period with that team, you know, like, um, the following year, obviously it was the, you know, it was the magic and the tigers in the championship series, but 93, they felt like, like they came oh so close. The tigers got the better of them in the grand final series. Like that was a, team that could have become a real dynasty they won 95 as well with still a, a number of these players part of that, that that run as well so they were a team in the 90s that were so dominant hacker hansen there was a little hacker hansen late yep <laughs> Gorgian Peter hansen. hey he, he gets the Do ball you know? you're failing don't give the intentional away but you foul him and they they were hacked him and in the end murray arnold in fact had to take him out and put andrew vlahov back in Long, uh, what was a few years before Hacker Shack? Mm-hmm. Gorge was uh, was Hacker Hanson, and do you know where they got Pete Hanson? Do you know where he came came from? Where they recruited him from? The the Perry Lakes Hawks in the SBL. He was he was an SBL star, and then Grand Final MVP. You know what? That is not too dissimilar to the Sean Redditch story. It's not. Came to play for Northwest Thunder over in Tassie. They made a SABL grand final. I think they ended up winning it. If not, they fell. They they played Cairns in the final. They might have just got beaten by an HIY led Cairns. And then he goes to New Zealand, doesn't work out. And it's like, well, this guy, where's he at? Goes to Perth. And of course, the rest is history. So there you go. They've always had a mm. knack of being able to find these Americans who played really well at the level below and then were able to stand up and, and deliver in the biggest games. He was a little bit like um, the 1991 version of Jay Sean Tate, Pete Hansen, because he was undersized, but we, what he what he lacked in height, he made up for in heart and desire and just how hard he played the game. So um, we talk about, you know, guys that are kind of lost to, to history. I mean, this guy was grand final MVP amongst, you know, alongside Ricky Grace, James Crawford and Tiny Pinder and all these absolute stars um this man out of the sbl comes up and uh takes out the trophy we'll get to unsung heroes very shortly i don't want to argue the point too much about who should have won the mvp for this grand final series but hansen was he was brilliant i isn't it like we and nbl overtime the nbl twitter feeds facebook instagram the red army thirteen thousand each and every home game it's 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 unreal to see the passion right now for this Perth Wildcats team. But if you go back to 1991, they're the OG's Red Army because that joint was heaving from the opening tip. Yep, big time, for sure. Um, and those guys were absolute superstars. Um, and, you know, you can see that when you watch, like, the championship celebrations the following day, like I said, the uh, the, the parade around the city. Um, beyond While we're on that, talking beyond the box score, I want to make mention of the uh, the set of collector cards that the Wildcats put out from their 1991 season because, and I'm going to put these out on Twitter or maybe the the NBL will, 
these are elite because they are pictures of each of the Wildcats players, but like not action photos of them on court, dunking or blocking or knocking down a J. They're pictures of them kind of doing random everyday <laughs> types of things. So like per- James Crawford is flying a kite. James Roberts flying a kite. Eric Watterson's patting a dog. Trevor Tiny Pinder is strolling down a footpath in a suit with a tie pin and a briefcase. Mike Ellis, the captain of the team, is scuba diving. <laughs> Andrew Vlaov's patting two dogs. Trevor Torrance is wearing sunglasses at a did having a coffee al fresco style. And Peter ha- Peter Hansen's swinging a golf club. Uh, Craig Evans is reading a magazine on the beach and Steve Davis, there's a lot of dog padding going mm, on here. Is. Steve Davis is getting, getting into some dog padding as well. So these are just beautiful. So I was thinking about this. You, you sent me the article around the cards and that looked like, or they looked like they were released by the Perth Wildcats. But if you recall a couple of years after that, when basketball cards just went through the roof and it became the in thing to do, the NBL released their own set of basketball cards. I think it was by a company called Future, and I'm I'm happy to be corrected on that, but I 100% guarantee the basketball cards, NBL basketball cards, did exist in the mid-'90s, and I think it's something we need to look at again. We need to look at bringing them back in some form into NBL 21 and beyond because, you know, and, and traditionally you, you flip them over, you've got all their stats, you have, of course, a little buyer about them, and it's a really good way for the – now. Yet again, I'm not certain how big basketball card and collecting is right now. It's nowhere near as big as it was in the 90s, but it's a, it's a really perfect way for the younger generation to be at games who can find a little more out about their actual stars or the players they're watching do their business right now in the middle of the court. I reckon basketball cards are something we need to look at as a league in the future. I also remember, um, was it Stops? I feel like there was a, there was a type of uh, NBL basketball card called Stops, okay. stops as well. All right. no. They were good. Good and fun. You said so, future. I think it was a Futera. Don't know. Futera, I think you, maybe. You're right. Look, I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about the specifics, mate. That's your job. I'm just telling okay. you what happened, okay. and you just, you know, I just loosely throw the <laughs> okay. ball towards you, Liam. You do, and you, you, you polish it up okay. after it gets got a bucket. Okay. <laughs> All um, right. Unsung one, hero. Last oh, for, one last thing me. for beyond the box score. Murray mm-hmm. Arnold, the late Murray yes. Arnold, rest mm-hmm. in peace. Mm-hmm. Loved his quote during the Cats Championship celebrations. This wasn't on the broadcast. This is just beyond, this is beyond the box score. He t- he told the teeming heap of Wildcats fans in the middle of the city center, most people have to die to get to get to go to heaven. I've been lucky enough to come to heaven while I'm very much alive. That was a man who was having the time of his life in winning that title and coaching that team. Very well said. Hashtag NBL Rewind to get involved. Unsung heroes. Let me go first. Go ahead. Tiny Pinder. I'm not here to argue about who should have been the grand final MVP, but when the game was there to be won, because Hanson was brilliant, but when the game was there to be won in the fourth quarter, and I also love the fact that he... He really got into the celebration. The two fingers pointed to the air. He hit a jump shot with like nine minutes to go and celebrated like he just won the He went early, didn't he? Yep. <laughs> he did it a couple of times. And then there was a couple of moments late. They were, they were sort of struggling to score. They got up again, double figures, and and Bruce Bolden was leading Eastside back into it. A couple off the dribble, he was able to get the job done. And then it led to a great pass that ultimately, an and one dunk by James Crawford that uh, – sealed it, although they were probably going to win it anyway. But I thought an unsung hero in the fourth quarter, every time it kind of got a little bit tight, Tiny Pinder was the man who stood up, had an outstanding series. Uh, when you have a team this deep and they all play their parts in different ways, it's always sometimes it's a toss of the coin who who should be the MVP of a series, and this is probably no different. But uh, So I'm not going to def- definitively he say was- he should be grand final MVP, but he was outstanding in that fourth quarter when, when Eastside had another run at him. We've obviously only watched game three, um, but look, it, it looking back, it's Hanson was consistent throughout mm. the series. Uh, did you know Tiny Pinder was a Harlem Globetrotter? I did. I, I did. <laughs> I don't know if I recalled it before I looked into it. Just, just on that, okay. Pinder had tw- 20 and 8, 
He had 28 in game one, 13 and six in game two when they lost, and he had 19 and five. So the numbers okay. were fairly similar, mm. but you're wrong. Okay. Fair call. I just thought he was uh, One other unsung hero. One Hit other me. unsung hero, Mike Ellis. Mm-hmm. Mike Ellis, they, uh, Ricky Grace mentioned post-game that uh, one of the other changes Mary Arnold made from game two to game three was he put Mike Ellis on Kent Lockhart. And uh, he put uh, Tiny Pinder, I think it was, on Darren Lucas. So he could sit off Lucas and sit in the paint, clog things up. But Mike Ellis did a job on Lockhart. Lockhart was a baller. He could really score. And um, we talked about how you know heavily the uh, Spectres were relying on Bolden. That's because Lockhart was on lock by the uh, the the efforts of Mike Ellis. So the um, the captain. I think was somewhat of an unsung hero in this win. Um, this is a kind of a little loose, but unsung heroes, the amount, and this is probably no surprise with obviously the generations passing, but the amount of people on this basketball court and on the sidelines, but on this basketball court that have still got some link to basketball in which we watch every day, either here in the NBL, here in Australia, at a lower league or somewhere around the world, they've, there's links left, right, and center. Of course, you know Bruce Bolden and, and Jonah. Of course, over at the NBA, we talk about you. Know, we talk about Mike Allison and his son Cody. He's played here in the NBL. Ricky Grace's son, uh, Tony Pinder's son, uh, I think went to the University of Arizona and is playing in Poland. Like, can, can actually did Kent Lockhart coach you in the SABL? Did he coach against you? I would say against. No, it didn't he coach did me. He yeah. Did you mention Larkins? Good. Another one. Yeah, Darren Perry's still coaching, obviously here in yes. Australia as well. So, yep. the amount of the amount of people on the court that are still doing wonderful things, either personally or with you know sons or daughters around the world plying their trade, it's uh, it is something that sort of rams home how uh, how deep the Australian basketball fraternity goes. We're going to quickly go through favorite moment before we do. We are there now. Where yeah, are they now? What do you? Whatever you favorite got. You, do, okay. you can do whatever you want. Okay, I've got a couple of honourable mentions, for, and I hope I don't take yours. No, there's no honourable mentions, mate. Just tell us your no, favourite no, moment. No, no, no. no, Because no. that mini scrap between Wayne Larkins and Ricky Grace late in the third quarter was very fun. I also enjoyed the, I also enjoyed the paper. That. When Larkins got yeah. up, he was pretty happy with himself as well. He was. He had that little was. smug well, little he, look on his face. I liked it. I enjoyed the paper plane landing on the court. Of course, and the uh, and the comment from Bill Palmer on the call. I hope they take that idiot and escort him straight to the paddy wagon somewhere. And you hear the court announcer in the background say, "Don't be stupid." <laughs> there was um, a, there was actually just there was a piece of commentary, and I I don't know if I heard. I should have went back. There, somebody got a rebound, and he was he was surrounded by three or four players, and he couldn't quite get it out for a, mi- a second. And Bill Palmer said, "He's seeing more asses than hands right now." <laughs> and then he was able to get free and find the player. He? He, I'm ninety-nine percent certain. Yeah, I didn't okay. have a chuckle. Oh, I think I actually think you have got the word morass mistaked for mistake for morass. Just quietly, possibly. M O R. M O R. Yeah. A is an area of muddy or boggy ground. I think you've run with more ass. <laughs> That's hey, great. Hey, you're um, the journalist here, mate. I'm just saying what I heard. I enjoyed the uh, the tiny pinder block on Darren Lucas midway through the second. That was huge. huge. Mm. And the but but James Crawford really is my favourite thing about this game because he had the game ceiling and one dunk, mm-hmm. and yet when they were handing out the championship rings, he was completely forgotten. Bill Palmer did not call out his name and he moved on to the coaching staff and all the players had to yell and scream and point at JC saying, give this man a ring. He was unbelievable too in the second half. That dunk was huge. It was going to be my favourite moment. My favourite moment actually, this game was good and it was fun to watch because Eastside, and they didn't have a great deal of depth. They only went maybe seven, possibly eight deep. They are on the road. I like that Friday night, Sunday backup, and it's what used to happen mm-hmm. in the NBL. The Doomsday Double used to be, you know, Adelaide one night, Perth the next, or or vice versa. Just how it was, and you know, players handled it and played the extra eight well, minutes. We had that it. this year, and they had to cry, go across the country. 
Yeah, but not 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 Saturday Sunday. They used to back to back up in twenty four hours sometimes. A Doomsday true, Double. True, true. But true. yeah, you know, we, we had that argument many times on NBL over time. We did. And it is what it is. But I, I like the fact that I'm not, I know it's Game Three of a championship. It's, it's they didn't lay down. That seventeen point lead Perth had in the first quarter got whittled all the way down. It was tied at fifty one, and then Perth went on like a fourteen nothing run. And you think this is kind of now going to be party time for Perth going to the fourth quarter. But they scored the last seven right at the end of the third quarter. Darren Lucas on the buzzer at a three quarter time, and and gave themselves a sniff. And they just kept boxing around. Bruce Bolton hits those two big threes and makes Perth earn it all the way to the very mm-hmm. end. So it was mm. going to be Crawford because anytime you slam dunk a championship and it's the sealer, it's always probably going to be the major moment. But the fact that Eastside hung around and made it tough and Gorge, as you know, you know him particularly well from a coaching standpoint, he just made them continue for 48 minutes, give everything. And that's why this game was such a classic game to go back and have a look at. Where are they now? What do you got for me? Are we going to talk about Tiny Pinder? Or do we leave that? Look, I, I don't think we need to go too deep into it. Obviously, he's ran into some, you know, legal issues and and and, and trouble over, you know, criminal activity over the course of of the end of of his NBL career, and mm-hmm. it happens too often, unfortunately, in today's day and age. And not just obviously not talking just with athletes, but with all. So yeah, very disappointing. But I think he mm-hmm. currently lives in Sydney and. Hopefully he's he's on the straight and narrow and, and things are going better for him than when he found himself in a fair bit of trouble. Scott Ninnis, premiumwinetours.com.au. You can go through the Barossa, mm-hmm. maybe McLaren Vale, the Adelaide Hills, with Scott Ninnis, expert winemaker, former pro baller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm writing this down. Because there's a couple of things, there's a couple of there's a couple of things out of this game that people now do that I want to get you, involved in, and that you is could one of take them. a Lux coach. <laughs> I, all right, so from I, Melbourne to Adelaide, go on, talk us through Lux coach. Right, I want to I want to point this out where this actually come from, so that when people, if this proves to be incorrect, we've got someone to blame for the information. Chris yeah, Anstey Lux- posted on his Facebook page. A couple of weeks or maybe a month ago that they were travelling, they were going to travel to Sydney to watch a game. I think it was one of the grand the semifinals between Melbourne and Sydney in Darren Lucas's Lux coach. And this yes. thing is remarkably well pimped out. So I am taking from that that Darren Lucas owns a bus that has a bar in it, that has all these sweet couches, and there's even a nice – and I, we've got the pics. Uh, we're going to hopefully post them somewhere on the NBL, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram – but yeah, so I want to hang with Darren Lucas in his yeah, well, bus. Well, you can do that. Rolling Lux through Co- the Barossa, sipping red wine with Scotty <laughs> Ninnis. There no. you go. So luxcoach.com.au mm-hmm. and you can book the Lux Coach. There's been a little promo video made by Coxie from Coxie's Big Break. Yeah. And you can watch that and then you can book it in. And I'm pretty sure there are options to like have, I mean, I think Darren Perry, uh, Darren Lucas, sorry, not Darren Perry. Um, he's too busy coaching the Australian under nineteens. Uh, Darren Lucas will will be your barman and tell you stories of the ninety one championship series that they lost to the Wildcats. So just while we're here right now, I, I reckon he'd probably refer to talk about ninety two and ninety six when they won it. But hey, sure. well he can tell us whatever he wants. Does he own that bus, or he just yes, works for the company? It. No, that's that's his company, Lux Coach. Okay, how many mentions do you think we have to give luxcoach.com.au before <laughs> we get a freebie through the Barossa? <laughs> I want to catch the Lux coach mm-hmm. to the Barossa mm-hmm. and then go around the Barossa with Scott Ninnis. Done. That's what I want to do. I mean, when we what? when we can, when we can socially interact again. True. How, how, now, Scotty Ninnis would have been a part of that winning championship team in the Southeast Melbourne Magic in 1992. And then went back to Adelaide, pretty sure. Yeah. So you know what we could do? We could do NBL Rewind. That 1992 grand final series, Southeast Melbourne v. the Melbourne Tigers, we could do it yet again when we're back and able to uh, distance ourselves a little more normally than the current situation. We could do it from the Lux coach in the Barossa Valley with Darren and Scott with us talking through the game. That sounds like an extraordinary plan. That's what I'm here for. Any, any, any other where are they now have you got for it? Uh, no. 
I had Lucas, Pender, Perry, Ninnis. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, fair enough. We just need a luxurious coach and a wine too. I'm not sure we need to worry about anything else. Uh, this has been fun. Hashtag NBL Rewind to get involved. If you've got any ideas or any suggestions for games, and a few are coming through in the last couple of days after we announced it on NBL Overtime, we'll have a mm. look at it. And there's, there are so many. And, and while we'll probably focus and the bigger games we remember are always going to be big grand final, semi-final games. There are a lot of cool games, of course, that have happened. Yes. So we go look back on a couple of people are interested. And, and we I'm, I don't think we'll do Perth for a couple of weeks now, but that Perth Wildcats v Houston Rockets game at the McDonald's Open back in 1995. I think we need to do that at some point for sure. Yeah. Because, of course, I gave the idea on NBL overtime that we should bring back that particular tournament and have it in Australia. Well, you're the ideas man. That's what they call me, Ideas Man Luke. (laughs) Uh, This was a good place to start, though. I like the fact that the Wildcats have just won their third back-to-back and it was fun to go back and have a look at the first time they were able to get that done. I wouldn't mind. Do you know, just quickly, because I'm just looking at this roster and they are talented and we touched on a little bit earlier about what happened in the mid-90s. They were able to snaffle Scott Fisher at some point as well. Uh, obviously, some changes with their imports, but you're able to fit Scott Fisher. That was such a talent. That a talented decade when it comes to a roster, didn't it? That Perth was it Wild the next crew. year? Was it the next year they got Scott Fisher? No, I think it might I have reckon, been. I reckon it was '93. He, I think '92 he was still at North Melbourne, and I think in '93 he was part of that team that that got beaten by Melbourne in a grand final series. Okay, all right, fair call. I'm buying that. I could be wrong. Hashtag NBL no, no, Rewind to get involved. NBL Overtime podcast style. We're going to be back next Tuesday, so make sure you look out for that. Subscribe. Find it where you get all your podcasts, and you can jump on at NBL on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, NBL TV. You can find us wherever you want. Liam Santa Maria, thank you, my man. Thank you. It's been fun. The team which won the regular season by five games deservedly have gone on to win the championship. And the Perth Entertainment Centre erupts to announce champions for the second year in a row. And what a grand final series it was.